Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. So sermon time, our vision as a church, we're doing a vision series. It's called In Long Beach, As It Is In Heaven. We decided as a uh, a group of elders and as a staff that what our ideal future is and what we're moving towards is that God's kingdom would come and his will would be done in Long Beach as as it is in heaven. So our ideal future is as a church, we are working to see God's kingdom and will be done and come in Seal Beach, in Costa Mesa, in Long Beach, in Lakewood, in Cyprus, in Westminster, in Cerritos, in LA County, in Orange County. Everywhere we go, we are working towards that outcome. And so what we decided is we wanted to teach this series as a way to invite you into our vision and get you to say yes to where we're headed because we're not here to make you happy as a church. Um, and that's a, a shock and a surprise to some of you. So just so you know, there are great churches out there. That's not our church. Our church is to recruit you for a greater purpose and mission that God has commissioned all followers to be a part of. That's all we're doing. And so um, three weeks ago, we started a series. Uh, actually, we started it four weeks ago, but three weeks ago, I started a sermon from Acts 19. And so if you have a Bible, go to Acts chapter 19. And we're gonna read the rest of the story. I said this was a three-part sermon, and this is the third part. And Acts 19 is the story of what happens in Ephesus, a city um, that had 250,000 people in it. It was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was a trade city. It was a wealthy city. It was an influential city. It was a very spiritual city. Um, It was the banking capital of Asia at the time. And the story of Acts 19 is what happens when a local church takes seriously their call to Jesus. And we started the series with kind of this question, what caused the riot in Ephesus? What caused the riot in Ephesus 2,000 years ago? And we said, if, as we answer this question, not only will the, the, the reasons for the, the, the riot um, have implications for us as individuals, as followers of Jesus today, but it also has an implication for what it means for us to fulfill our mission as a church. So as we answer the question, what caused the riot? We're answering the, uh, 2,000 years ago. What caused the riot in Ephesus 2,000 years ago? We're, answer, we're also answering the question, um, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in our culture and society today? And how will the garden go about seeing God's kingdom come in Long Beach as it is in heaven? Are you with me? That's so quick review. Part one, Paul goes into the city of Ephesus, finds 12 believers, asks them if they receive the Holy Spirit when they believe. They said, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And so he says, all right, well, you gotta believe in Jesus. They get baptized, then he prays for them. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Point number one, what caused the riot in Ephesus three weeks ago? The local church was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember that? Okay, six of us, great, we're taking notes. All right, it's point, point number two. Uh, what caused the right in Ephesus? Last week we said that the local church had a bold missional presence. Remember, uh, Paul went into the synagogues and then to the hall of Tyrannus. He had a public proclamation of the kingdom of God and he also demonstrated it through his life. The local church had a bold missional presence. What, how did the right occur? What caused the right? Filled with the spirit, a bold missional presence. Point number three is today, are you with me? 
All right, let's read this story. And I wasn't gonna read the first part, but I think it's so fascinating and hilarious that it would, um, we have to read this because it's such a funny story, um, especially for anyone that's new to this whole Christian thing. This will make so much sense for you. So verse 13 of Acts 19. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard about, but who are you? When the man who had the evil spirit, uh, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, uh, and gave them such a beating that they ran out naked and bleeding. So welcome to the garden. Welcome to Christianity. It's a great story. So <laughs> I just, like, somebody had to record this, right? Like, like Luke is recording what happened after Jesus uh, was ascended into heaven and the church takes off in the book of Acts. And he, he's telling these amazing stories. And this is one of those stories. It's absolutely hilarious. These seven dudes um, begin to use Jesus's name, thinking that they could use his name and invoke power without a relationship with him. Right, uh, and and what they do is they uh, they begin to invoke his name and think they can use use his name without a relationship, and and the the demon possessed dude beats them up and they run out bleeding and naked. Okay, so that's that happened, and then it goes on. What caused the riot in Ephesus? Check this out. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and publicly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, about in modern um, estimate of $4 million. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And then here's what happened next. About that time, verse 23, there arose a great disturbance about the way a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together along with the workers in related trades and said, you know, my friends, that we received a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul convinced and led astray a large number of people in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself who is worshiped throughout the province of Asia and the world will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Soon the whole city was in uproar. The whole city of Ephesus was rioting because of the local church. The whole city, 250,000 people living in Ephesus were in uproar because of the local church. What caused the riot in Ephesus? We know what happened the first two, the first two points, but now it says in verse 18 that after the story of these, these guys getting beat up and God doing miraculous things, it says that 
Jesus' name was held in high honor in the city, that the local church confessed what they had done publicly. The local church comes together and confesses publicly that Jesus is Lord. Now, this is fascinating. Before we jump in and give you kind of the point, I just have to apply kind of the context again, because remember, Ephesus is a unique context. The Ephesian culture was a unique culture, and they had a very particular worldview that we need to get our minds around to understand the significance of this particular story and why it makes sense for us today. Are you with me? So the Ephesian worldview or the mindset is this. They believed that there were powers in the world that controlled um, the forces in the world. There were other uh, forces that had control of the universe that they gave these powers names and they, they, were, they became gods. And so the way they learned to interact, invest, and organize their lives and to live out their lives, which is a worldview, how you interact in the world, that's, that's your paradigm, uh, was with this understanding that there were these powers that controlled the outcome of their life and the rest of the powers in the world. And in order to appease those deities, in order to have the desired outcome that you want in life, you have to worship. You have to invest time. You have to invest your resources. You have to invest your energy, your life to these gods. And there were different gods for everything. And so they lived drenched in this culture where there were gods and statues for all sorts of things and power. So if you wanted a good, healthy life, you would worship the God that would give you health. If you were sick, you would worship the God who would provide healing for you. If you wanted a good business, you wanted more prosperity and wealth or success in your business, you would go to the God of the harvest or the God of trade or the God of the seas so that your ships would sail and not get destroyed by the powers and forces of winds and hurricanes, etc. Are you with me? If you wanted to have kids, you would worship the God of fertility. If you wanted to curse your enemies because they were the ones, of course, that they were your enemies, they were causing problems, you would worship the God of vengeance and curse your enemies. Literally, that's how you organized and lived your lives in Ephesus nearly 2,000 years ago. Now, archaeologists have found something called the Ephesia Grammata. Ephesia Grammata, which means the Ephesian scrolls. And there's literally this, this book of, of spells that they found that uh, dates back nearly 2,000 years ago, around the time that the church was there. And this book of spells was used by all sorts of people. Um, and, and their worldview was basically this, that you could invoke... Um, the powers and move the, the, the gods of the universe if you, if you bought or if you had the right spell. If you would mix the right potions, if you said the right, chanted the right spells, you could effectively uh, correct the, the plan of the gods and move your life to the direction that you wanted. You with me? So there was a spell for everything. So if you, like I said, if you wanted good health, you could go to a person, purchase the spell from the Ephesia uh, Grammata and chant the right spell over and over again. You could go to the God, the deity of good health. You could give your money. You could give your time and energy, your resources, and you could experience the outcome you hope for by worshiping those deities. So this was the system of Ephesus. There was an entire industry dedicated to keeping this system alive and well. There was an entire industry to uh, keeping this worldview going. 
that this, is what it, this was how the world worked according to the, the dominant culture and society. The society was structured around this way of existence. And, and so what's fascinating about this is also, I want you to put yourself in 2,000 years ago in Ephesus. You are surrounded as you walk around by these symbols of Artemis, these these statues and pictures and images dedicated to all sorts of gods. And Artemis was the god of Ephesus. And Artemis was the symbol of sexuality. She was a symbol of abundance. She was the symbol of health and beauty and fertility. She was the symbol of prosperity and wealth. Imagine walking around today Everywhere you went, driving down the freeway, walking down, seeing billboards that are dedicated to sexuality and wealth and power and these, th- this dominant worldview. Could you just imagine? I mean, it's hard to even get there, but we can try, can't we? Thank you so much for taking that historical leap with me. It took a lot of research to make that make sense for you and for me. Imagine a culture where everywhere you looked, there was a dominant worldview pressing in on your Christian view that was challenging your view system, your belief system, and the culture was the river that you were swimming in, and everything's going this way, and it's all about sexuality and beauty and power, and your identity is found in these things, and the way you organize your life is around the things that matter most to you, your family, your prosperity, your health, your kids, your dreams, your jobs. This is where we find the story of the local church surrounded in this culture called Ephesus in the city and society dedicated to the systems that are uh, supporting these deities and this way of existence. What caused the riot in Ephesus? The local church says, I'm no longer going to participate in this way of life. The local church says, this system is not the only system. There is another way to live. The local church publicly confesses Jesus is Lord and all these other things are meaningless. Only Jesus, always Jesus. He is the one true king of this universe, not Artemis. The local church was all in for Jesus. What caused the riot in Ephesus? The local church was filled with the Holy Spirit. The local church had a bold missional presence in the city. And the local church was all in for Jesus. They gave up anything and everything else that competed for Jesus as Lord in their lives. And the city noticed. The city noticed. The local church stopped worshiping idols. Idols. We don't hear this enough today, and it's, it's a loaded church word. It's an Old Testament word, and we see it. We don't really talk about it much, but idolatry is really worshiping any other God other than Jesus. Um, and the way I would like to describe today is idolatry is anything that gives you meaning, significance, purpose, or security, or identity outside of Jesus Christ. Meaning, significance, purpose, security, identity, comfort outside of Jesus Christ. That's what an idol is. You find your identity outside of Jesus. You find your value and worth outside of Jesus. And the local church essentially says, 
The local church in Ephesus essentially burned their bridges that led back to idolatry. Let me, let me illustrate this. So what you have is um, these, this mindset that there are all sorts of spells that, that the, way, the way the world works is to value these deities and to attribute your life and to bring your time, your energy, your resources, your wealth, your, your mind, your emotions, your social capacities, your, your physical body capacities to these gods and, and these spells were expensive and you'd buy these and you'd hold on to them for various reasons. When ch- kids would get sick, you, like we go to the store for medicine, they would go to, the, go to the local witch doctor for spells and so what you have essentially are these, you like my work here, I've got these scrolls that someone rolled up for me today. So here's, here's a little illustration so that you can see what happened. The, the church comes together and they start throwing these, these potions. They start, they create this bonfire and they start throwing these things and, and the city on the outside are saying, no, 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 this is what's meaningful. This is where you find significance. This, this is worth a lot of stuff and money because somebody counted. At some point, Somebody was like, it was probably around 50,000 drachma, which was about uh, 50,000 days wages. And if you calculate that today, it's around $4 million equivalent of our society today of what was in the fire. And they throw everything in. And so that was the worldview. That was the dominant mindset. That was, hey, uh, worship sex. And we we gotta worship the right God over here. And they're essentially saying, okay, all of that is not true. What is true is Jesus. And the church says, I'm gonna burn anything that gets in the way of fulfilling his call in my life. I'm gonna burn the bridge. I'm gonna cut it out of my life so that I'm gonna rearrange my life around Jesus. I'm not gonna try to fit him in to my, my, my schedule and to my worldview. He's gonna reshape my worldview. He's gonna re organize my life. I'm not just going to put him in on Sunday and Wednesday. No, no, no. Jesus is now Lord of my life, of my schedule, of my finances, of my relationships, of the way I interact and organize my life in this world. Jesus is Lord of those things. And I have to get rid of anything that competes because that's an idol. I have to get rid of anything that gives me meaning, significance, purpose outside of him because he is where I draw my identity from. The city throws, or the church throws a bonfire in the city dedicated to sexuality, pleasure, sex, health, and success. And uh, Ephesians, they lived with, in a time that was dominated with a worldview that says how much you make, how beautiful you are, how much stuff you collect and own equals how much you are worth. The Ephesians worship gods by giving their time, energy, thoughts, their bodies, their finances, and resources. And the church simply says, no more of that. And they give up their idols. What's fascinating about idols is this. Idols are used to control the way you live in this world. Idols are used to control the outcome of your life. What an idol promises but never delivers is peace. Or another way to say it is well-being, fulfillment, happiness. You see, what the Ephesians want more than anything else is they want peace in a system where they don't have control over the outcomes of the, of the, the cosmos, the, uh, of the, the, the solar system, of, the, of whether it rains or whether they have a drought, whether the political system comes in and wipes them out or not, whether there's someone new elected or not. 
whether they are sick or not, what they don't have control over the things. So what they, do, what they did, what we do as humans is we find ways to make meaning and significance. We find ways to control our lives with these idols because it's easier that way. It's easier that way. And so what, we, what they did is they, they would, the, in a chaotic world, the idol would offer peace. And, and if they wanted peace, they wanted peace for their family and their business and their dreams and their future. They wanted fulfillment. And that was Ephesus, but this is Long Beach. This is Long Beach. This is Long Beach. What about today? How does this story, how does the story of a local church going all in for Jesus shape the way we might live our lives today? How does this story connect us to a future vision of what, where we're headed as a church? How does this even cast vision? Because when I think about idolatry, when I think about going all in for Jesus, I don't think about that compelling of a vision, story. Do and especially when we relate to Ephesus. You see, Ephesus, the riot was caused by a group of ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit that had a bold missional presence and began to no longer settle for a complacent, compromised faith, but chose to fully surrender their lives and go all in for Jesus. And as a result, a city riots, and the local church begins to live out their faith, and the city notices. The systems that were set up to sustain a dominant worldview shifts. In other words, when the local church begins to live out its calling in Jesus, the economy is affected by the church's holiness. That's power. The economy shifted in Ephesus. People were gonna lose their jobs making idols. I just wanna play that out for a second. You know that 90% of all men struggle with pornography in the church? And that two-thirds of all online pornography support human slave trade? Imagine if the church said, we are no longer going to participate in the way this world works. That the, the economy globally will shift because the church says no more. There's another way to live. Imagine what the city would notice. Would this city notice if we said we're gonna stand for Jesus? We're gonna burn everything that gets in the way. When we talk about a vision, we're talking about revival, renewal of cities. It's gonna happen only if individuals are filled with the Holy Spirit, only if individuals are, become bold missional presence wherever they go, only if individuals choose to go all in, and if we collectively do it, then we become an unstoppable force. But I look at Artemis, let's just take a look real quick at Artemis, because you know we don't struggle with statues made out to these false gods, isn't she lovely? Isn't she wonderful? Na, na, na. Yeah, so this is Artemis. And we don't have these idols. So some of us are like, well, I don't really struggle with idolatry. I'm not worshiping these fake statues. They're not all over the place. And I kind of, as I was preparing this sermon, I was like, I wish we lived in a culture that actually had statues with names. It would be way easier to identify the idols we're worshiping in our lives, wouldn't it? To so start thinking like, oh, I don't really struggle with idolatry. I don't really struggle with, with that. I mean, um, when I look at myself, I don't think, oh, I'm, you know, I'm an idolater. Uh, but then I started to realize that I don't see the idols in my life that I worship for two reasons. I don't, know, I don't notice that I'm worshiping idols for two, two reasons. Number one, because the idols in my life are neutral. 
They only, the only power they have is the power that I've given them in my life. So we don't have statues dedicated to these false gods, but we have all sorts of things in our lives that have begun to give us meaning, significance, value, purpose, comfort outside of Jesus. And so these things in our lives in themselves are good or neutral, but we have chosen to give them power because they give us identity. They give us meaning. They give us purpose and significance. And so that's one reason we don't notice them because by themselves, they're just neutral objects. The other reason why I don't notice the idols in my life is because everyone else is doing it, especially the church. If you could imagine culture, culture is this stream, this river we're all swimming in. And everywhere you look, everyone else is doing what we are doing, especially the church. What would it look like for us to throw a bonfire? What would it look like for our lives to be examined and honest? What if we started identifying the idols? So I started thinking about that this week, and I've thought about it a bunch. Um, and it's quite frustrating. Um, and so what I realized is a couple of things. Number one, um, uh, if you want to know where you find, where, where you worship, where your worship goes, where your idolatry is, start just by looking at the objects in your ha- house and life. Start by looking at your calendar. Start by looking at your bank account. Start looking at the things that are there. And in themselves, there's nothing wrong with them. But then start associating, start drawing lines to where they resonate in your life and heart. So for example, I'm just going to be really vulnerable and I brought a bag of idols for you, okay? So we'll start with things and we'll just, we'll talk through this together. You guys okay with this? Is this getting really serious? So these are the most recent shoe purchase my wife did for me when she was in New York. She bought me some shoes. Um, And shoes in themselves are not idols, you know, but maybe if I start collecting lots of shoes. There's nothing wrong with wanting a collection of shoes, per se. Um, but for me, this, this connects to something deeper. It connects to my preference. It connects to me. It connects to the image I'm wanting to project to everyone else. I'm curating an image so that you can see something. Which, so in some sense, I'm worshiping myself, right? My desire, my time, my preference, my dreams, my job, my career, my money, you name it, it's mine. It's mine. So we can start with just a pair of shoes, but what that represents is something far greater than just clothes, although that is materialism. If I have a, a thirst for lots of stuff, a desire for more and more stuff, if I am finding my meaning and purpose, how many of you, when you go shopping, feel better about yourself afterwards? How many of you buy that new dress and think, now I'm going to be happy when I go to that event because I didn't have anything in my closet? My wife's not in this class or in this service, so. But then also, I've got another pair of shoes here. Here we go. I got my CrossFit gym shoes, workout shoes. Now, what does this say? Well, one, it says I do CrossFit. Two, it says I have a preference, and they're not very used very well, so that says something else. Um, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and it also talks about health. I, I, I like to work out. There's nothing wrong with working out, right? Working out is healthy. Exercise is good for you. But when I don't work out, I become a mess. I become mean. I become angry. I become rude. I become quick. Um, so it's connected to something deeper, right? Now, if also the other thing is this, like if for some of us, the way our body looks, um, we feel inadequate or insecure because the world 
says we should look a certain way and we have bought into that perspective, that worldview, and we invest our time, our energy, our resources to accomplish this physique or this style that is meaningless. Are you with me? Idols. These are just from my own home. Obviously, um, I want to talk about books. Um, let's, I'll just pull a bunch of these. So I have got these big old books in my house, um, and I love big books because uh, this is a Jewish commentary. I love this commentary. It's absolutely gorgeous. It reads from left to right, right to left, excuse me. Um, and, and you know what's great about them is that I'll use them occasionally, but I put them like trophies in my home because I want people to think that I'm smarter than I really am. You can laugh at my idolatry, that's fine. (laughs) Because I worship the approval of others. So I worship myself, I worship the approval of what other people think of me. GQ magazine to get the latest trends for men's whatever. Um, Time magazine, I wanna be up front with, or uh, up to date with current events because I want people to know that I'm paying attention and that for some reason that matters. Money, so many of us find, here's my wallet, um, security in how much money we make, how much is in our bank account, how much uh, freedom it gives us. I was talking to a 22-year-old a couple months ago. He's not really a Christian. And I said, what do you want to do with your life? He's like, it doesn't matter. I just want to make lots of money. I said, well, why, why do you want to make lots of money? Well, I just want to have nice things. I want to buy lots of stuff. So but why do you want to have lots of stuff? He's like, well, I don't know. I just do. And if you look at the heart, the job to have money uh, uh, won't give him fulfillment or peace. He wants the stuff. And I was like, well, what's the shortest distance to get you to your real, the, the, the desires of your heart? Because if it's, maybe you can work for a company that you like and not have to make lots of money. You just get all this stuff for free. Maybe that's the quickest, but it wasn't that. It's something underneath that he's filling his heart with. And, it, and we follow these trails and we devote our life, our energy, our, our, our resources to these false gods. I'll just keep going with a couple of more. I have a journal here and I'm just gonna confess this one. I would really like to write a book um, I, I want to, I feel like I have to, I feel like that God's put it in my heart, but part of me also wants to be famous. I'm just confessing this because that is a danger for anyone, especially in ministry. This is not a platform for fame or the next step. This is a sacred space that we need faithful stewards to walk in. That's why not everyone preaches on our stage. We have people like Don and Bill um, that, that preach regularly here and my stuff. And so I put this in, but also the dream. I mean, I hang out with some people in LA and one of the things I noticed with some groups, it's all about career in Los Angeles. It's all about your dream of becoming the thing that you dreamt about when you were a kid back in, you know, Illinois. And everyone there has, everyone there is an actor, a writer, and everyone there is working, you know, at Starbucks as well. So I get it. And the struggle is real. And there's nothing wrong with fulfilling that. There's nothing wrong with God saying, you're called to the industry. You're called to to be a writer in Hollywood, to be an actor, a model, whatever it is. But if the dream is where you get fulfillment, meaning, purpose, identity, if that's where you draw it from, well, you gotta throw it in the fire. Bank account, retirement, your resume, your job, your career, your house, a trust, what you leave behind to your kids. These are all idols in my own life. I have a travel pillow for travel, but also because this is the best travel pillow in the world and I don't own stock in it, but it's called the Comfy Commuter. Anyways, um, but it represents this desire for travel and millennials, man, we worship travel and adventure. We worship adventure. 
you're having a party in your backyard. How is that adventure? You know, it's like, but we do. Cups, um, this could be alcohol. For some of you, it could be pleasure. We worship ourselves through pleasure, our bodies. Um, and what, what's fascinating about this is also for this generation, it's particularity, which is gluttony. Sushi and pho and, 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 you know, juice and all the particular things that we crave is all about self. And sometimes we're not satisfied until we have those things. These are just my idols. Maybe you don't resonate with any of these. Um, you can worship family. I got more clothes in here. How about just cool bags? You know, some of you worship stuff. So these are, I just throw it in the fire, your family. And, and anything that gets where you get value and meaning and purpose and significance out of outside of Jesus has to be thrown into the fire. And the early church had, did something radical. They just said, um, we're not gonna play this game anymore. Jesus is Lord and all the other stuff is not. Are you with me? Brothers and sisters, I wanna just ask you one simple question. If Jesus was here this morning, and he was, he was examining your life, your credit card bills, your schedule, your, um, your hobbies, the way you talk and interact with people, the way you invest your time, your energy, your resources in life. What would he have you throw in the fire? What would he have you throw in the fire? Because if we want to see revival, we want to see cities renewed, it starts with you being filled with the Spirit, becoming a bold missional presence wherever you go and you becoming all in for Jesus and getting rid of anything that competes with him. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.